You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and check us out online at beardedtheologians.com. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have a special guest with us. Uh, we have Sophia Agtrap, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, she is the director of communications at Vanderbilt Divinity School, and she's also a deaconess in the United Methodist Church. Sophia, great to have you with us today. It is a pleasure to join you all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, certainly. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you come from, what you do, and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, so um, I'm going to apologize in advance because our building is under renovation, so if you hear buzzing and jackhammering, uh, it's happening downstairs. Um, So I uh, was consecrated in May as a deaconess in the United Methodist Church, and uh, deaconesses and home missioners are this... Um, fairly new recognized order in the United Methodist Church. So deaconesses for women, home missioners for men. Um, And we are a lay order um, of the United Methodist Church called to a lifetime ministry of love, justice, and service. And so you'll find deaconesses um, in placements that are in school settings, right? Educational settings, or you might find a deaconess or home missioner who's an EMT or a teacher, or like myself, a communications person. So we sort of span the gamut of um, vocations, but all with this sort of grounding and call to serve in ministries of love, justice, and service. Um, And it's, I feel like it's not a very well-known order in the United Methodist Church. I think when we think about, um, you know, vocations and ministry, and especially sort of these like formalized tracks to ministry, we always tend to go toward Um, being an ordained elder or deacon. And uh, for those who don't feel that call, um, but still feel the call to um, some formally recognized um, ministry and a way to serve the United Methodist Church, uh, this is a great order to be a part of, to discern to be a part of. Um, And here's the reason why, is you get theological training in our United Methodist seminaries and they pay for it all. Nice. So um, you are a you know, seminary theologically trained layperson who really feels a strong call to, um, to ministries of love, justice, and service in the world. And what that looks like takes lots of, lots of different forms, but we are also part of that world diaconate. Um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, one of those like best kept secrets of the United Methodist Church, a good secret, um, but I would love to see more um, you know, millennials and people of color um, explore whether or not this would be a good fit for them. Yeah, I, um, I've known you for a while, and when I when I saw you kind of going through that process, I thought it was an interesting process. I didn't really know anything about, um, and it was something that you know I wanted to bring you on the show so that you could talk about it and talk about you know your setting and talk about what you do, yeah. um, but then also just kind of you know, help people connect if that's something they feel calling to do, where, where can they go to find that information? Uh, Cause if someone were to come to me now, granted, I would know, cause I've known you and you've kind of 
put it out there and I know where to go. But there will have other pastors that listen to this podcast that might know of some people in their congregations mm -hmm. that may have that exact same kind of call or feeling and they don't know where to send them. You know, where, where, where can we direct them to if they've got that, if they've got that pull on their heart? Yeah. So, um, if you <laughs> Google, <laughs> Google it, uh, no, just type in, <laughs> that's why I said everything. Google it. Um, just type in Deaconess and UMW or United Methodist Women. And we're actually sort of under the United Methodist Women as a, as the organization that we are consecrated through or that sort of holds all of that stuff together. Um, and so if you just Google uh, Deaconess and United Methodist Women, or I guess you could type in dhmumc.org. I'm going to say it's not a great website, so don't let that be a reflection of whether or not you continue <laughs> interest. They're working on it. Um, but they offer these free discernment events, both online and in person. And so that's, I think, a great first step. Or talk to a deaconess or home missioner uh, like myself, or maybe someone you know through church or some other way um, that can sort of help answer some questions. Um, but the discernment events are a really great opportunity to begin that exploration process. And they hold them in different parts of the country and online for those that aren't able to get away for the weekend. Right. I, I love this idea of a, of, of a deaconess being being ordained in this as a layperson. Um, I mean, I talk, we Matt and I talked to so many people in our churches and just around of, gosh, I want to do ministry, but pastoral ministry is not my call. You know, even being a deacon, an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church, still not not my call. I still have I have this desire to be a layperson, but I had this call to to love justice or service. You know, maybe not in those words. Yeah, yeah, and but and but that yeah. that's the idea, right? Right. And I think too often. Oh, go ahead. Well, well and I think like I use my wife's experience uh, as kind of a jumping off point. Uh, in her undergrad, she was doing, uh, working on a theology degree, but didn't want to go to seminary. Um, cause at that point, the only option she had ever been told about was pastoral ministry. And, but she loved theology. She loved digging into that, but didn't want to go and be a pastor. And, and frankly still doesn't, um, you know, but, but that idea of, of, of being a deacon is would fit, I think would fit her wheelhouse and yeah. still allow her to do the things that she's doing and, and be in ministry, but have that training, have that kind of foot in the door, but still be called where she is feeling called. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that I've um, lamented a little bit, you know, I'm a lifelong United Methodist. My dad is a retired United Methodist clergy. My sister and brother-in-law are all clergy. And so, um, but one thing I've lamented as someone who cares deeply about many things and thinks that a theological education is really important, um, an important lens through which to view the world, uh, there weren't a lot of options like, you know, to say that I, I want to be a lay person and there are certain things that I feel called to do sort of vocationally, but then for the church not really to recognize that, that as sort of this valid like pathway to ministry for me is lamentable and I continue to, you know, um, to hope that our church would see lay ministry as as important as um, you know uh, parish ministry, but I think you know working in a divinity school, I think we're seeing this across the board in the United States at least. This shift from people who are going to seminary or getting divinity, you know, going to divinity school, 
wanting to go and get their MDiv to then serve a, a congregation or a parish. And we're seeing that shift because more people are, they might be interested in an MTS or an MDiv, but not necessarily to serve a congregation, but to have that training and then go and be, you know, an executive director of a nonprofit, to um, be a community activist or organizer. And so I think we're seeing, continuing to see the value of a theological education, but played out in different ways. And so this Deaconess Home Mission or Order, I think is a really um, important um, way for the church to say, we see you and we value your gifts. And it doesn't all have to look like um, being ordained an elder or deacon in the Methodist church. Right. Yeah. Right. I love that. I love that option that, that as, as United Methodist church, we, we are, we have some of those, right. Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully have a lot of options in, into where we're feeling called mm -hmm. uh, from from you know all aspects of life, which I think is really really cool, um, and I think we miss out the opportunity to promote that and to help help our church live into that because um, we don't always hear about these things uh, until it's you know maybe not too late, but ten years down the road and you go, oh crap, man! If I would have heard that ten years ago, I would have jumped headfirst into it, you know? Yeah, and not have been like hundred thousand dollars in debt from seminary and. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. No options. Yeah. Or, you know, and it, and it may be someone, and I'm, I've been thinking about this with a couple of people that they may have that call, but maybe it's not the parish ministry and that like, they don't know what the other options are that are out there. They just assume it's either parish ministry or lay speaking school and yeah. that's it. And, and have maybe this other option out there for people to see and people to say, Hey, I can, you know, I can do what I feel God calling me to do and be theologically trained and, um, you know, I was thinking about this for my wife and, you know, granted she read probably 95% of my theology papers, but that doesn't mean she has an education. She just does what I think um, or what I had read. Um, but, you know, I know that, you know, she's wrestled with that and would love to, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully this might be something that she might be interested in uh, because she does definitely has that call and would love, I think she would love to have that training. And I think that's what she's missing is would love not having that training side because, you know, a lot of times we've been thrusted in a situation where she has to be that trainer because um, there's not very much training because she doesn't want to get it from me. Um, and, and, well, we don't work well together. Um, we, we definitely share the covenant of marriage well together, but when it comes to working in the church, it just doesn't work. Um, by the way, she's now my children's director, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she feels like, I mean, she feels, I mean, her call is definitely in serving in, in our communities and helping kids make sure that they can read. And she yeah. does a great job of that. And I think maybe this might be something for her. And I actually just sent her the website and said, Hey, you should look at this. Because um, <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how to have that, you know, just um, that direction for people like her. Because it's not just been her that I've had that conversation with. So I've had other people in my congregations that I've served. And I think of two or three right now in the congregation I'm serving right now, mm -hmm. that this would be great for them because they would get some of the training that they feel like they need. They feel like God is calling on them. And then they can figure out their way to serve however they need to, um, you know, and what their setting may be. Mm -hmm. It's huge. And so, I, you know, I thank you for um, you sharing this. It's, it's a good deal. Yeah. It really is. Okay. Yeah, it really is. And and again, back to this sort of education piece and to think that you're, you're taking, um, you know, graduate level courses through our United Methodist seminaries that they have relationships with. And like, for example, um, the first course you take is on the theology of mission. 
and the location that I took it at was um, the St. Paul campus at in Oklahoma, which is when we weren't able to connect. Right. Last year, yeah. but, um, so you're there for, you know, like Monday through Friday, um, taking these courses, but you're also building community. Um, and I think it's just a really neat way to, um, to be, to be a part of, of a church that for, I think for many people, they didn't feel that they were a part of if they weren't able to sort of go that ordination route. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great, a great, a great, um, thing to explore, to recommend, you know, go to the discernment events and kind of see if, if God is nudging you in that, in that direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so in your day job, uh, how, how do you find yourself living into love, justice and service? disorder that you've been called to yeah so i think for a lot of people um doing communications work does not seem like it would fit right um and i think for a lot of folks like just understanding what it is that a communications director or person might do um probably calls to mind like websites and like print materials and things like that um which are all part of my job but when i think about this um, diverse um, ecumenical progressive uh, divinity school located very much in the south Um, and I think about our students who are both going to serve in big and small churches um, in various denominations but who are also um, artists and musicians and activists and scholars and um, all of these things, I feel like part of what I get to do, which is really a joy, is to help um, tell the stories of what this community is about and the ways that they have been formed through their experiences here, but also the ways that they're living out um, their call, whether their call is to be an ordained person or not, um, their call to serve God and neighbor in the world. And so, um, in terms of uh, being called to a ministry of love, justice, and service, um, I feel that storytelling is is holy work. And when I think about the stories that aren't being told or people's stories or voices that don't get to be lifted, um, for me, that's a, it's a justice issue. It's a hospitality issue. And so to be able to um, be connected to folks in that way and to be able to be a vehicle through which their stories and truths and realities are shared um, to me is really exciting. And it, it really is a privilege to get to do that work and to also be a connector of sorts, right? Because sometimes what happens in a particular organization or community doesn't always get shared with um, those in the surrounding areas or even beyond a geographic area. And so to be able to um, help be a connector in that way for me is also really exciting. Um, But you do such a good job of it. I mean, like I said, I've known you for a while, and you really do a good job of helping tell that story, um, whether, you know, depending on how, whatever medium you're using. Um, you also uh, you also cook on the side, right? Is, is that... Uh, uh, yeah. you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, we're, so I'm trying to think of, of a starting point. So I think when people sort of see my life, they're like, oh, she like does way too many things or 
those are really random things that are not connected. Um, but if I were to describe myself, I would say um, I would call myself an evangelist in the best possible sense, right? I love to share and I love to bring people together around different things. And so communication and storytelling lets me do that in different ways. Um, but so does like gathering people around food. And so when I, I worked for United Methodist Communications as their minister of online engagement for the Rethink Church team. Um, and then after doing that for a few years, which is what brought me to Nashville, I, um, I left that job and asked myself like, if I could do something for a year or two, like what would that look like? And so I continued to freelance with um, different organizations and still did the communication stuff. But in addition to that, I was like, I really love, I really love cooking, but I also love the idea of bringing people together around food for conversation, to exchange culture, like all those things. And so um, I got a spot at the Nashville Farmer's Market in their uh, commercial kitchen, and I set up there like every Friday for the summer, that summer, and then continued for the next like year and a half to two years on and off um, doing that. And for me, like this idea of like sharing food, exchanging culture is very much um, sort of a question or an issue of around like hospitality. And so uh what are ways that cooking and sharing food and meals are sort of this like vehicle for exchange for welcome for conversation um and so i i do that every now and then i'm actually having an event next friday evening but for me um yeah food has always just been this vehicle through which we share and exchange things ideas stories um and so that continues to be this thing that I come back to is how do we continue to use food? Um, also is like resistance. So when we think about um, the groups of people who are being um, isolated or targeted by this current administration, for example, I mean, not to get political, um, but I think about um, like food as, as resistance as well. You know, what are ways that um, whether whether or not our a particular administration um, continues to put bans or prohibit certain groups of people from entering the country, what are ways that food can still be this um, way that culture and friendship and relationships can be experienced and exchanged? Right. Well, that that's, that goes when I hear you talk about kind of that that. that theology of food, right? <laughs> and community. <laughs> um, it, it, that's what Jesus did. Jesus went around. He was a storyteller. He told, told the gospel, right? He brought this good news. He brought this story to these communities. And so often he did it around food um, and, and gathered people together around the table. And there's something so genuine about that, that in, in, really relaxing. I mean, you can gather a group of people who have known each other their entire lives around the table, or you can gather a complete group of strangers around that same table and have deep life-giving conversations. And, and it, it's going to take some time to get to that place within that conversation, but there's something about food and a table that does that, that kind of brings down some walls, brings down some barriers. Yeah. And, and I mean, you immediately have some common ground around food you know, and that opens up the conversation for anything. Yeah. And that's something that I think 
we don't always get on social media, right? Because we don't have, mm -hmm. we don't have some comments, something that we're exchanging or sharing. And I think, you know, I, I wonder like lots of things could be addressed, maybe not solved, but like we could start to pick at mm -hmm. a lot of things if we could sit down and break bread together. Um, right. Yeah. In that way. Well, there's also yeah. a sense of vulnerability when you come and eat at the table because you're always like, man, I really want to eat a whole bunch of that, but I don't want to look like a pig. So yeah. I eat a little bit, you know, I mean, and so like, I mean, I think at the times like I've, you know, I've been around friends and stuff. And it's like, I've had more fun being around the table, no matter what we're doing. Um, and, and even when there are people that I disagree with, I would much rather sit down with them at a table and share a meal together so we can figure out some of our commonalities that even though we know that there's some things that we aren't necessarily a hundred percent agreeing on, that hey we can ha still have this even though we still disagree and yeah. you know um thanksgiving always kind of comes to mind you know we're always it's always an internal struggle like you know you know that you're going into this that there's going to be a conversation at the thanksgiving table you're just like how am i going to respond <laughs> am i mm -hmm. going you know and so i think that that table does break down some of those barriers that um is there and i think um you know, if, if we, people had more passion about doing that and coming to a table with someone that they disagree with, I think they would have some, they'd see some commonalities. Well, it, right. One, one of the things that I see, so I, I live in a very small community. It's uh, less than 2,000 people. Um, and we have three restaurants in town. And one of our restaurants, they have a community table. And... Uh, and, and it fascinates me to go in there and watch people who, who know each other for the most part. Um, you know, a, a group of two or three come and sit at this table and then, you know, a single person, you know, to hold 12 or 15 people, it's a big table. And, and watching folks come down in the, in the lush, in the, in the noon hour rush to eat and then build this community around this table, come and go as they need to come and go, but simply just come and eat. And, and it's fascinating to watch people approach that table and then go sit somewhere else. Uh, and then yeah. people intentionally go sit at yeah. that table. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's I fascinating. Think it, it does. I think and, I, does. and I think we should do more of that as having those community tables. No, I agree. And I think it goes back to that idea of vulnerability and um, I think we get so isolated and insular sometimes. And, you know, to, to take something as simple, as seemingly simple as, um, sharing a table with a stranger, like who knows what conversations could come from that. I think lots of really interesting ones have. If we take um, sort of a moment to like let ourselves, let our guard down and, and, and see what experience we might have there. It's the same thing that happens in bars when people go and sit around the bar itself. You know, it's, yeah. it's very community oriented, right? Whether you're having a conversation with the bartender or, you know, the person beside you or two or three seats down it's that same barrier that's broken down and this vulnerability to be like, well, I'm new here, or, you know, this is just the place I am. And these are people that I'm going to sit. And you just watch people have these conversations, whether they know each other or not. And there's something that you're right. There's a vulnerability that goes along with that. And we have to allow ourselves to do that. And too often, I don't know in the church, if we do, or just as people, we have a hard time doing that. We don't like being vulnerable in those places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, put some food in front of you. Well, and that's what's kind of hard. A drink or whatever in it. Something something seems to happen there. <laughs> well, I think that's what's kind of hard um, with our digital age that we live in is that they're like 
this is about as close as we can get in the sense of having a shared, you know, we could all sit down with a meal. Like we could all get like a you know meal and sit here and eat and have that conversation virtually. But I think there is something sacred and holy about when you're physically present with each other. And I think of like all the friendships that like, man, I would love to go to an event where I know that so-and-so is going to be there so we can have, go have dinner or go have, you know, group drinks or whatever like that. Like I, I long for those more than I care about sometimes the content of the thing I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think um, we have to strive to push to find ways to do that. Um, in some of our communities because you know Sophia you live in Nashville where some of that stuff is kind of not I mean that can happen Um, you know Zach lives in a small rural community where he would have to create it in a different way and that would have to look a little bit differently and I was thinking you know here in Tahlequah what are some ways that I could do that that would be kind of cool and unique and different that would be still intentional and hey we're just get it we're gathering for a meal and so I think um, I think it's a great thing to do. Um, and you know, we can all think about ways that we can affect our communities by doing that. Um, and so, um, you know, so Sophia, we thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing about, uh, the, the Deaconess program. I'm, I'm hoping that more people look at that. We'll, we'll add a link to that to our website so that people can go and look at it. And, um, yeah, the website could use some work, um, but it does have some general information. Um, <laughs> right. but, um, I know that it will eventually uh, have all the information that you need to be able to, if, if that's something you feel calling on your heart, or if you're a pastor and you know you've got some people in your community that would be, this would be good for them, please feel free to share that information because I think it's vital for for the strengthening of our uh, connection. And so um, go on our website, bearthetheologians.com. We've got some good things up there on the website, uh, good blogs and good posts. Um, and uh, so we thank you for your time, Sophia. And uh, so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.